Today's scripture reading comes from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it, and many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray before we go to the word. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your message and your word. You believe that these words are not just mere words. We believe that we are not part of a lecture series, but we believe that you are preaching this word and we believe that these words have the ability to transform our lives. So we pray that, oh God, that our hearts may be open, our ears may be open. And as was just prayed, Father, that we may see with clarity your Son, Jesus Christ. And so that we may be moved to compassion, that we may be moved to love you more and more. We thank you, O oh God, for everything that you do and that you continue to do in our lives. And we pray that as we continue worshiping in you in this way, that you would bless us, that we would experience your presence and your grace, and that we will be forever changed. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this week begins our Advent series. We'll be going over different passages in the book of Isaiah, and we'll, go, we'll be going over selected passages that talk about different themes um, that are found during the Advent season. And this week is the theme of hope and um, things that we should hope for and things that we should look forward to. And so as we begin, I thought that we, start, we should start off this month of warm, fuzzy feelings with a sermon on the Armageddon. <laughs> so I titled our sermon, uh, this sermon, The Hope of Armageddon. Now, if you think of Armageddon, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? If you're like me, the first thing that comes to mind is Bruce Willis. And if you are old enough to know the movie, Armageddon is a movie where Bruce Willis saves the world as an oil driller. The more I say it out loud, the more odd it is. But that is Armageddon. And as we, we, we might have different notions of Armageddon, some people think of a big tsunami or tidal wave, others will think of a zombie apocalypse, other things will just think, other people will think of nuclear warfare. That is Armageddon, and that is how our world uses the term Armageddon. Yet if we look in the Bible, if we look in the scriptures, we would see that there is actually a positive tone to the word Armageddon. Armageddon is actually found in the Bible, the actual word. And as we think, or as the Bible talks about Armageddon, what we see is that there is a hopeful tone, one of great joy and great peace in knowing that Armageddon is near. 
So first, what is Armageddon? And how are we to understand it? The word Armageddon actually comes up in Revelation 16, 16. And it says this, And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. So there it is. It's in the Bible, and it's the Hebrew word Armageddon. And so if you split the two words, what you'll find is arm is actually har. Har in the Hebrew word means mountain or hill. And then the second part of the word is Megiddo, which means the gathering place. So if you put the two words together, what you find is the gathering of a people on a mountain. And so as Isaiah chapter 2 begins to talk about Mount Zion, that is actually often referred to as Armageddon. This mountain that is being established, this mountain that the Lord is establishing is actually the beacon of hope for not just the Christian, but for all humanity. So what, is, what does Isaiah see? Well, Isaiah sees a promise made by God himself. And within this one promise, there are two layers to the promise. And I want to emphasize that there is one promise, but two layers to the one promise. The first promise is that the nations, all nations, will become disciples of Jesus Christ. And the second layer of this one promise is that all nations will be at peace with one another. And we'll look and examine to see how they're being fulfilled or if they have been fulfilled at all. So first, what exactly happens at Armageddon? Nations become disciples of the Lord. If we look at Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, it says this, It shall come to pass in the latter days. So anytime that phrase latter days comes up, it means that Armageddon is happening or is occurring. So let me read it again. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And I want to focus on that last phrase, and all the nations shall flow to it. What is this a picture of? What is happening in this scene? Many times as ancient Israelites and Hebrews tried to understand this passage, some thought that this meant that one day Israel, the nation of Israel, would become a great nation with great political power. And in this way, people would flock to Israel. And what they had in mind is what they had during the time of King Solomon. Now, if you know the ancient Israelite history, King Solomon was a great time in Israel's history. They had lots of money, the temple had just been built, and different nations were coming to this nation of Israel and giving them gifts and saying, you have amazing laws, you have amazing books, you have an amazing temple. And so many Israelites thought that that was the future. But if you look closely at this passage, you would see that this passage is actually talking about something greater than political power something more magnificent than just earthly power. Because Israel's ascension to a political power would be nothing miraculous or nothing new. There would be nothing odd about it. Empires rise and empires fall. But here that last phrase, and all the nations shall flow to it, would cause any Hebrew to stop 
and think about that. It's a strange image because that word flowing is usually associated with words talking about gushing forth. Huge waterfalls flowing down, rivers flowing through the land. It is a strong current and has a strong tone. And what we have here is nations flowing upwards. It's an odd sight to think about or to see. How do nations flow or how do rivers flow upward? What I think is going on here is something magical, something miraculous, something more significant than political power. What we see here is a picture of a miracle taking place, that the nations would come to Israel, not just bearing gifts, not just establishing power, but that they would become disciples of Jesus Christ. I want to look at verse 3 in which it says, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. So as nations flow forth and into this nation, what happens is not that they only bring gifts or they admire the beauty. What happens is they become disciples. And here what we see is nations not just becoming another nation standing beside the Israelites, but becoming one with the Israelites. And as the Hebrews begin to understand that this is what the prophecy is talking about, people began to marvel. Truly all the nations would miraculously come to the mountain of the Lord and be disciples. This is the beginning of Armageddon. When all the nations would come forth and stand at the foot of the Lord and say, we are your disciples. This would be the glorious event that would take place. Now, if you're catching on, for some of you, you might not think that's all that glorious. That's happening now, Pastor Jeffrey. Who cares? But if you think about it, that is very significant. That means we are in Armageddon. Every nation that comes to faith, every nation that becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ, means that the last days are upon us. I know for some of you the last days seems pretty long. When did the last days begin? It started with Jesus Christ, with this first advent. When he came and when he died and when he rose again and then ascended into heaven, he actually began the new age. He began the age of Armageddon when the people of God would gather upon the mountain. Listen to Jesus' word in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. This was his last words to the disciples before he left. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so as all the other biblical authors began looking upon Jesus and as all the authors began to see different nations coming to the feet of Jesus Christ, they realized that it had begun. Listen to the Hebrew author and how he talks about Jesus. Hebrew 1.1 says, Long ago, 
At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. The last days have begun with Jesus. The last days have been going on since his ascension. And the last days are not something to be feared. They're not something to um, be scared of. They're not something to be um, not talked about in public settings, but it's to be celebrated. Different nations are coming together and beginning to realize that Jesus Christ is king. And that they are becoming disciples of his. This is something to be celebrated, to be smiled upon. We should celebrate Armageddon. Because people are coming to know the Lord. People are being redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing time to be a part of. I'm sure for ancient Hebrews and ancient Israelites, they could not comprehend what was going on or what could have happened. I bet if they saw what's going on right now in the whole world, they would be floored. We were a small little nation, but now the whole world, the whole world is coming to know who Jesus Christ is, who Jesus Christ is. There's no nation left untouched by Christ himself. People are coming to a saving faith, and it is a miracle. People are flowing up to the mountain of the Lord. People are being saved. And it's a beautiful and glorious thing. But there is another aspect to this promise. So we see that the first promise is actually fulfilled and is being fulfilled. But there's a different layer to this same promise. Another promise that is found in Isaiah 2 is that the nations will be at peace with one another. Here Isaiah gives us a beautiful vision of nations working together of plowshares, of swords becoming plowshares and spears becoming pruning hooks. It's such a beautiful scene that many literary um, authors have used that exact phrase to use in their work because it's a beautiful picture to see. And it's one that should give us a lot of hope. But sadly, it's not true and has not yet been fulfilled in this day. This would have been a great thing that the Israelites had hoped for during this time. To better understand at what time this prophecy was coming to Isaiah, we have to understand their context and understand what it meant to them and how it actually applies to us. You see, Isaiah was a prophet who was in Jerusalem. And if you know a little bit about Israel's history at this time, you would know that at this particular time, Israel was separated. It was officially two kingdoms. There was the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. And the one looming thing that both of them were concerned about was the rise of the Assyrian Empire. And as this empire was growing, they saw the writing on the wall that this empire was going to take over their land. As they took over every single nation, they were taking it with force and without much peace. And what we will see in the book of Isaiah further on is that 
Israel does get taken over by Assyria. Judah is saved, but then Judah has to make the hard political task of either being pro-Egypt or pro-Babylon. And within these internal dialogues and debates, kings are overthrown, kings are killed, and ultimately what happens is Babylon takes takes over them anyways, and all of Israel is sent into exile. So if you think we have a bad political situation... You have to think about Israel. Now, I don't say that in jest. What I do say it for is that the people of Israel understand what nations at peace means. And it's not too different from us that as we hear this promise, it should give us great hope or we should at least long for it. We live in a divided time. There's no way around it. Whether you're happy or whether you're sad, we live in a divided time and this should be something that we hope for. And if we look past America, if we still look in the Middle East, they are still plagued by war. They are ravaged by war. So as they hear this, they long for this thing to be true. But the reality is, it's not true. And it won't be true until this prophecy is completed with Jesus coming back. It is only when Jesus returns that we will have true peace. Here in this passage, it says Jesus will come as the judge. He will reconcile our differences amongst the nation and give us peace. But what about the angst that we still live with? For some of you, you may look around and say, I see conversions But I also see the world around us, and it brings no comfort to me. And and so what I want you to see is this. These two promises are linked together. I've been emphasizing that this is two layers to one promise. These are the last days. Armageddon is one event. And so what we see here is that as people are being converted... As people are coming to know who Jesus Christ is, we are, sus- we are seeing the fulfillment of the first part of the promise, meaning that the second part of the promise is just around the corner. God knows that we are weak. God knows that we are fragile, that our faith is fragile. And so God always gives us hope in things to see. One particular verse I want you to focus upon is verse 1. It's it's phrased interestingly. It says, The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw. God told Isaiah that all these things were going to happen. God usually speaks audibly in the Old Testament. But he knows that human beings are not great listeners or that we're easy to forget. And so what God did was give Isaiah visions and pictures to see, to help people understand and to ensure that this promise will come true. And this is, not, this is, this is how God speaks to all his people throughout all the ages. When when God made the promise to Abraham and he said, you will become a great nation, God had to tell him audibly three times and then gave him a visual aid to help his faith. He gave him the sacrifice 
that dream or that event in which two animals were split apart and God himself walked through it. God always gives us visuals to make sure that the word is understood. And so for us, an encouraging word today is this. Look for the promises of God. Look for conversion. Look for people coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. For when you see these things, you are seeing the vision of things being fulfilled and of things to come. Because surely as people are coming to Jesus Christ, surely Christ is then coming soon. Christ is coming to be our judge, to be our person, to be our king. But not only that, Jesus gives us much more. He gives us the picture of baptism. When we look and see the act of baptism, we should be encouraged. Again, it's people coming to the mountain of the Lord. It is a great sign of Armageddon that it's happening. People are coming to fruition. People are coming to know who Jesus Christ is. And secondly, here at the Lord's table is another visible word, a promise that Jesus Christ himself gives us. When when I come to the Lord's table and when I perform it, when I'm up there, no one mistakes me for Jesus. Never. And what happens at that point is this. We are reminded that Jesus is not here on earth with us, but that our hope is that one day it will not be me giving the bread and the wine, but that it will be Jesus Christ himself. And he has promised in the scriptures that he will dine with us on the very last day when he is judged. And so the encouragement to you all is this. As you wait and long for Jesus' return, not to lose hope because there are so many signs of faith that peace on earth will happen. When people come to Christ, we know that Jesus is still king and that one day he will return. That when we have the Lord's Supper, that yes, it's not spectacular, it's not great, but surely the Lord is coming. That we will dine with him. And that when we do see him, and that when he's giving us the Lord's Supper, it means that peace on earth has finally arrived. And that vision of swords turning into plowshares and spears turning into pruning hooks will no longer be a vision but a reality. And what is that reality? It's not simply that we'll get cool tools. It's the vision that no longer will the human, will human energy and effort be spent on dividing one another. No longer will the nation spend resources, time, and money building things to destroy one another. Rather, the nations will spend time Resources, energy, preserving life, making sure that we are all fed, making sure that we are all cared for, making sure that we are served by one another. So in this Advent season, there is great hope to be seen all around. The hope of Advent has always been of the second coming of Christ. And for some, some of you may, be, may feel that it's such a far-off event, that it may never happen. But I encourage you to look. Look for the conversions that take place. 
Look at ACC and look at all the different nations represented here becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. Look at the Lord's Supper and look at the people coming and flowing forth and giving us a glimpse of that peace that is to come. Faith can sometimes be visible. We just have to look in the right places. And my hope this Advent Advent season is this, that you would not just see the Christmas tree and be happy, but that you'll look at baptism, the Lord's table, and your fellow brothers and sisters and rejoice in the Lord and hope for Maranatha for him to come soon. Let's pray.